Happy New Year, first Sunday of uh, 2022. Wow. That's, again, I, I was saying in the first service, I remember Y2K like it was yesterday. It was just like, what is happening? Um, hey, I just wanted to make mention of one thing just as we're kind of getting things uh, together up here. I wanted to call a uh, 21 days of prayer in the month of January. We're going to start on the 9th. We're not a better way to start our new year by saying, God, we need to give you this year. What we're going through, the things that we, the challenges that we have, uh, not just as a congregation, but as individual avenues. And we need prayer. Prayer is the thing that will change things. You know, we can talk about different avenues and different ways that we reach people. But at the end of the day, it is still prayer that moves mountains. Amen? All right. All right. So you're with me. Okay, good. Half of you are with me. Most of us are with me. Um, boy, it's good to be in person. I love being in person. And if you're joining us online, that's nothing against you. If you're watching us online, I'm glad that you're watching us online. And we, we welcome you here, and I'm glad that you're here as well. But it's just something nice about being here with the family of uh, God together and, and being able to see God do great things. Um, 2022 is always... Um, it's one of those things. What is it about the first Sunday of a year? Something about freshness, something about uh, optimism, something about, oh, you know, just a new chance. You kind of, you kind of ha- have this illusion, I guess, anyways, that, okay, everything is new. And like, that's the way it was. Remember 2021? Finally, 2020 is over, this whole COVID thing. But now there's 2021, COVID is going to be gone. This pandemic is going to be over. And we're just so looking forward to getting ourselves back to something which is more normal. And here we are, 2022. And we're a little gun shy to say the exact same thing that we said last year. Is that not correct? Yeah. It's kind of funny. And so, so as I take a look at this year, I still have optimism. I'm kind of a dying optimist. I, I'm always wanting to find God, wanting to do something. I think every Christian needs to be an optimist because they have God. Amen? So um, I sit here as I'm praying through this sermon um, this week, and I'm thinking, you know, it is the first Sunday of the year, and I'm you know, wanting and trying to do the right thing, trying to serve people, trying to reach people. You know, we, we kind of had this vision of being able to continue the vision that our forefathers had with this, uh, this building becoming a big gym so that we could be a church in our community, for our community, to be able to have an opportunity to reach a new generation for Christ, to, to be able to reach every culture for Christ. And, uh, and all of those things that, uh, that are kind of with it. And in the midst of that, we kind of have this unsure waters and and people are divided and, you know, there's having to sift through angry feelings and sift through unsure feelings. It's just, it's such a difficult time. But in the process, I believe that God has something to say uh, to us today. And my prayer is, God, help me to get what's on my heart out into your heart. Sometimes that's a difficult thing. And so I wanted to conclude a series that happened before Christmas and the series was called Keep It Simple Saints. Uh, it's simple, but it's not always easy. And the whole premise of the series is this, is that complexity is what we resort to when we don't want to do the simple. We make it complex because the simple sometimes can be a difficult thing um, to do. And that's kind of our time, isn't it? Now, if there's a job that I could relate Ministry to. 
And maybe you can relate to this. I almost feel like a log roller. You know what I mean? Log rollers. You ever seen those people? You know, they had the job where they would get on the, the river where all the logs were, and then they would, they would get a whatever it was to push it, they would release the log jam. That's where we got the word log jam was from. And so you'd, you'd have these people and they would be on these logs and they'd kind of be, you know, that kind of oh, spinning forwards, spinning backwards and, and it'd become a big sport. And um, I've never, ever been a log roller. Um, I don't have any plans to be a log roller. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, Gravity has never, ever been my friend, and gravity is something that you need on your side to be a log roller. Uh, But I do know what it is like to have my feet rolling so fast that I can't move them fast enough, and I'm about to lose my balance and go under. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's something that resonates as, as you're trying to to get your work done and do whatever ministry you do and and balance the checkbook and balance the children and everything else that life throws at us. And in the midst of that, trying to deal with forever changes in a pandemic and we're not too sure where this thing is going to end and we go forwards and we go backwards and, and we're always afraid that we're going to fall. And and it's kind of funny. You can You can see the log rolling competitions you know, they were at work doing their log work and then they'd stop for lunch and there would be people bragging about who was the best log roller, right? You can see that. I'm the best log roller. No, you're not the best log roller. I'm the best log roller. And so what would happen is one person would get on one end of the log and another person would get on the other end of the log and then they would start rolling backwards and then they would go forward. That's my best attempt at log rolling, just in case you hadn't seen it. And... um. And sometimes I believe that there's that half the time we go through some of the things we do is because it's all about competition. Oh, this church is now doing that. <laughs> you know, Bethel Redding is coming to Brandon and they're bringing their church along with them and they got these. Oh, no, you got to do is to spin. And, and, you know, the, the biggest competition in the New Testament church was the heresy that was being taught. And, and today it just seems like it's competition. And just find myself spinning forward. And then when I'm not spinning forward, I'm spinning backwards, trying to keep my balance. And so I'm saying all that to say this, that today I am stepping off the log. Can you do that? I don't know if I can do that. I'm certainly going to try. But I don't think that a pastor was called to be a log roller. As a matter of fact, the manual expressively says that. Shepherds should not be log rollers. We'll see. So this message goes out to all of those who are spinning on the log. All of those who might consider themselves workaholics. And maybe it has to do with your workplace that you're thinking about, or maybe it has to do with your ministry or your relationship with Jesus. I I know for me, all of them seem to apply as I I talk about this. What happens when your work gets interfused with your worship? And you can't tell a difference between the one and the other. And, And I think that Jesus tells a story. In Luke chapter 10. And um, 
talks about that when this happens, what happens is, is a form of idolatry, which is very subtle, and, and it's an idol that will hinder you, and it will strip you, and it will burden you, and it will confuse you. And there are so many well-intentioned, misled, burnt-out Christians who sat there and wondered why they're going through what they are going through. And one thing about this pandemic uh, is that it woke me up to this issue in my life. And so if I could be a little bit vulnerable and talk about just how God has been working in my life through the whole process. Because there was a time during the pandemic where there were so many pressures and things going on and decisions that had to be made. And I usually do a good job of holding my stress in. But I found that there were instances where all of a sudden it would become so overwhelming that it would leak out. You ever have that happen? You get angry over something over here, and it's not really about what's happening over here, it's about what's happening in here. And I come to realize that there was an instance where I just got so angry, so unreasonably angry, and, and, and I said, okay, God, what is going on in my life? I need to somehow figure um, this out. I need, to, I need to somehow sit before God and sit before friends and have them help. And so as a result, I, to this point, I'm going through a time of, of house cleaning. Just going through a time where I'm allowing God to do some healing in my life. And I figured the best gift that I can give my church for 2022 is an emotionally and spiritually healthy pastor. And so that's what I'm striving for. And um, I attach myself to a ministry that, that works on these things in pastors. The problem is that they are gifted at poking you in all the places that you don't want to be poked. And so every time I have a meeting with them, I feel like I've kind of been beaten up, but it's God exposing things in me. And I had a breakthrough moment. And I wanted to share this because I think that I'm not the only one who is going through this process. What happened was they began to talk about certain areas of stress in my life and they said, yeah, that you are, you know, perhaps I am building stress because uh, I have a desire to be a pastor of a large church. And I surprised them by saying, that is not my ambition. You mean your ambition is not to be a pastor of a large church? I said, well, if I wanted, God calls me to go to a smaller church, in a second I'd go to a small church. I said, my ambition is this. My ambition is that when I die and I come before Jesus, I'll say, God, I did everything I could to serve you. And I want to hear God say, Mike, you did a good job. If that happens, then I know that I've been a success. And then I began to realize that everything that I do, the reason that I work as hard as I do, the reason that I put up for things that perhaps I don't, and, and that has to do with the fact that I so intensely love Jesus that I want to be able to fulfill his will. That I, I want to pray for all these things. And, I, and I'm praying that God will move in people's lives. And I'm praying for a revival. And I'm praying for, for people to come to know Jesus. And I'm praying for those who are in the hospital. And I'm praying for healing for people who need healing in their lives. And, and all these things are kind of working together. But there was a point where God begins to speak to my heart. And he says, it is good that you're doing all these things, or it seems right that you're doing all these things, but I never asked you to burn yourself out. I never asked you to do all those things. What I have asked you to do is to sit at my feet and allow ministry to come from sitting 
at my feet. And so that became the, 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 the issue that I had to go through, that it wasn't about my work. It was about God working through me. It's not what I did for Jesus. It was who I was in Jesus. It was not about being driven. It was about being led. It wasn't about striving to fulfill the feet. It was about sitting at Jesus' feet. And who I am is more important than what I do. And at that point, as I knew the scripture, I thought to myself, I have become Martha. I need to be more like Mary. It isn't that I didn't strive to be like Mary. It's just that there is a continual battle in ministry to be Martha or Mary. And the workload is so great, and the temptation is so good, and the fact that you do it because you love Jesus, you become Mary, and you don't realize, or you become Martha, and you don't even realize it. And for those of you who are saying, who is Mary? Who is Martha? Let's read that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Luke um, chapter uh, 10, and I'm going to start at 30, 38. And this whole process, I'm, I'm working and, you know, I asked myself, what does my congregation desire? And I said, I think my congregation desires a pastor who is striving to fulfill the feet. Not, is not a pastor who is trying to fulfill the feet, but one who is sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and I know this at a head level, and we all know that at a head level. It has to get to the point where it hits our heart. And so this part of the, the series, Keep It Simple, saint. It asks the question, and this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Is it possible to serve Jesus without Jesus? Is it possible to serve Jesus without Jesus? And some of the veterans in the crowd here say, well, when Jesus is talking in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, there are going to be people who say, I've done all these things in your name. I've cast out demons. I've I've prayed, I've done all these things. And, and Jesus says, I don't even know you. I don't even know who you are. And so you can see it. And as you, as you look at scriptures, you see Balaam was the person who had a gift, never used it for God, really. You got Saul, the first king of Israel. His heart really wasn't in it. Heart, he had a heart for the things that he wanted to do for himself. And, and there's the Pharisees that we see during the Gospels who, who built up all these rules to make it complex. And they tried to serve God without God. And so when God showed up right in front of them, they didn't even see him. And so you're, you're caught with all of this in mind. But I think one thing that Jesus says is in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And I wanted to read it for you with it together. And it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then it goes on. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I imagine that there's a number of us in this congregation who have read that passage more than once. 
And throughout the years, the number of years, decades that I've been a Christian, this story has always kind of bugged me. Really has, hasn't it? You know, I'm thinking, Jesus, aren't you being a little bit hard on Martha? And isn't Mary being a little bit lazy? Shouldn't you kind of be saying something along those lines? And, and it, it kind of bothered me. And, you know, it, choosing what the most important thing is. He's not anti-work. But he's saying, you need to choose the thing which is most important. And it's been an acceptable, socially acceptable thing uh, at that particular time. Mary, uh, Mary and Martha... It was the acceptable thing at that time for the women to prepare everything so that the men could sit and and learn uh, from the teacher. As a matter of fact, it was kind of unheard of for a woman to be sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus didn't seem to mind this at all. You see, the the church really in and of itself was was thrust ahead by many hardworking women and people who just loved Jesus, many, many women who loved Jesus. But it was against what we thought was right. And as I take a look today at our church, at our, our situation, there are many things that we don't like as a church. There's many things that we frown upon at a church. But workaholism is not one of them. We actually will put a medal of honor on those people who almost kill themselves for God. And we are left with a challenge in today's church. And the challenge is this, as we spin on our logs... Are we choosing the thing which is better? And so I think this scripture tells us a few things that we need to learn. I think it's a message for the church today because it tells us about three things. The first thing it tells us about this, it says something about priorities, doesn't it? Basically what Jesus says in this whole passage is this. Martha, she is choosing the better priority. She's doing the thing that I have actually asked her to do. He's pointing out priorities. What is the greatest command? Well, the greatest command isn't to do all this stuff. The greatest command is to love Jesus with all of your heart. It says in Matthew 22, verse 27. Your passion for God should never be secondary to what you do. Ministry flows out of who you are, not what you do. And character goes along with what you do. And the greater your character is, the more you're able to accomplish for God. Isn't that true? Now, for those of us who don't, it says that Paul is doing all these tremendous miracles. He was just saying that the handkerchiefs are, are being brought, and people are being healed, all these wonderful, outstanding miracles taking place. And in the midst of this, it says this. There was this priest, and he has seven sons, and they call them the seven sons of this priest called Sceva. And in this story, they take a look at what Paul is doing and say, wow, this is incredible. We want to do the same thing. And so what they do is they find a person who has a demon upon them, and they say to this demon, be cast out in Jesus' name whom Paul preaches. Now, for those of us who know the story, the response of the demon is this. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? And the, the, the demon leaps off the individual onto them. And it says that they leave the place naked and wounded. They get beat up. They get tore down. And so as I've always looked at that particular story, I've always thought that these guys had some type of an ulterior motive. And that's why it happened. But we don't really know that. 
Let's assume for a second that these seven sons of Sceva had good intentions. They were, they were sons of priests. that They come up in a heritage of helping and doing ministry. And so they thought, well, we want to do good. We want to be able to do this. And so this is what they thought was the right thing to do. But they wanted the results without spending the time in God's presence. They wanted the source without the sacrifice. They sought to take... They had to take on a level of battle that intimacy, uh, that a level of intimacy with Jesus required. And as a result, whenever you do anything without intimacy with Jesus, you get beat up. How many times has that happened in ministry? How many times have you seen that happen in ministry? Where people are trying to do things, but they're not, they don't have the relationship with God as a priority, and they get overtaken. It was a priority. And, and Jesus is making, making the better thing, is what he says. Not only is he talking about priorities, but he's also talking about perception. What was happening in Martha's mind? She says, Martha says, as she's doing all this preparation, she's saying, if this day is going to be successful, if things are going to go over well, it is going to because of the it's going to be because of the efforts of myself and other people around me. And when you strive in that mentality, what ends up happening is the overwhelming thinking is this: if it is to be, it will be because of me. But the problem is, is if we control the ministry, God can never work past our efforts. And then we have a problem. And here is our dilemma. That there are some who are out there doing ministry and because of their talent and because of their abilities are able to succeed for a little while. I remember hearing a story of a pastor who started with a group of 100 people. And then over 11 years, that group of 11 people grew to 4,000 people in church every Sunday. Had 35 people on staff, and things were going well. And then out of the blue, this pastor gets up and resigns. He says, I've just had it. I'm done. And so he kind of cited the fact that with all the pressures, and we just had a big building program, all these things, I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to step down, let somebody else take the position. And, and that was the excuse that he gave until... A couple of weeks later, it became known that the reason that he had given up in ministry was because a visitor in the church recognized him at a hotel with someone who was not his wife. And not only that, he had accumulated. They realized that in the three years that he was going through what he was going through, the church had unprecedented growth. Not just in people, but also in giving. And all these great things were taking place. He had good married, did a tremendous passage, a, a tremendous series on, on the wonders of a good married life. And it just decimated the church. And he lost his family. He lost everything. And as they talked to the staff and they talked to the elders, they said, well, did you guys see anything? And they said... Well, we kind of saw things, 
Well, we just figured it was because of all the work that he was doing, the hard work he was doing, the fact that he was being asked to speak at so many different places and things. And, and the, you come to find out that you can only cut corners with intimacy with God for so long until something gives. Now, and it may appear that Jesus is unfairly critical upon Martha. But if your growth happens above your level of character, you'll find yourself in trouble. It will wreak havoc in your life. And that's why Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. It doesn't say, bear fruit and I'll abide in you. Basically what it says is the only way that you're going to get the fruit that you are looking for is to have intimacy with me. It's not about the work. It is about serving me. And the perception is that my work will dictate the end. What happens is I end up taking the role of God, and that never ends well. It ends up with tiredness and disillusionment and anger and, and um, all bunch of things. And how are you as far as perception? Are we working so hard? Are we doing all these things? Do we have all these, these aspects in mind? And we're marching ahead with them. And at the same time realizing that Jesus is three or four steps behind. The perception is that it has to be God. There's the priority. It's about the story. It's, just, it's about the perception that, um, that Jesus says about Martha. He says this. Martha, you are fearful and you are upset about many things. You realize that? Did you kind of see that? Did you catch that in the, in the verse? And we see that as we live in a society where there's an epidemic of worry and anxiety and fear and being overwhelmed and realizing that, that there's too much work for me to do to get it done. And it seems like we're not getting anywhere. But we need to keep it simple. Pursuing intimacy is the first and foremost thing. Everything else flows from that. It is a better thing that Jesus is talking about. Here is this. If you pursue intimacy and don't complete the work, it is better than completing the work and omitting intimacy. Can I say that again? If you pursue intimacy and not complete the work, it is better than completing the work and omitting intimacy. Yeah, we do it all the time. And when you lose intimacy as a priority... You lose your focus. You lose your foundation. And you lose your first love. That's the last thing you want to do. There's some pretty heavy things said in that passage of Scripture. Ever, can I take you back to your childhood days for those of you who are not in school, those of us who've been out of school for like decades? Um... You ever been in class and you, you have an assignment and you put all this effort into the assignment and you think, I'm getting an A plus. If the worst, I'm going to get an A minus. I just did so many good things about there. And the report comes back to you, D minus. And you're upset. Hey, look at all I've done. Why is that the case? Well, that's how a number of churches felt in the book of Revelation as they're writing letters to seven churches. There were a number of churches that thought they were doing well, all of a sudden to find out that they weren't doing as well as what they thought. Laodicea. 
Laodicea was kind of a wealthy place, and they, they were known for the, for the cotton, the softness of the cotton that they had and the materials that they were able to make. And they also had this medication, this eye salve that they, that they were famous for. And, and as the report comes out to them, they says, you know, you're not even hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, and if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And, and, and so here these people had thought one thing, and, and the reality was something totally different. That's why he says, hey, take from me the garments that I have. Put on the eye salve that, that I have. And what had happened was they had done everything to display that what they were doing was really good. But what they were lacking was intimacy with God. And you ask that question, so how do you know that, Pastor Mike? Well, I know that from the one verse that I have memorized in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.20. And this is what he says to respond to everything that he said to them. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any person hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him, and they will have dinner with me. I always thought that that had to do with unsaved people. I, always, I memorized that because it was an evangelism verse. But in the context of the passage of Scripture, he is talking about Christian people. He's talking about the Laodicean church that tried to do all these things and were lacking in intimacy. And here God was knocking on the door. Oh, God, I hear you. I just got to get the sermon done, God. Oh, God, here, I got, I got a prayer meeting. Oh, God, I just got this prayer meeting. There's someone at the hospital. God, I, I, I know I'm going to come, but I got to go to the hospital first. There's someone who needs help. We need to pray for people for healing. God, you need to move it. And, but here, God, I got all this stuff in ministry that I got. It's all these people I know. I got to go. I don't want to break the glass. What's happening is you love Jesus so much. You're wanting to do all this stuff for God. And God's saying, what have I asked you to do? It's very simple. Ministry will flow from me, and it won't flow from you. When was the last time, as we prepare ourselves for communion, when was the last time you took some time out of the busyness of your day, out of the confusion of our time, and you opened the door for Jesus? When was the last time you've taken time from doing ministry and serving Jesus and just opened your heart to him? And you said, hey, God, here is my list of things to do. Here is, my, here is the things that I want to complete because I love you, Jesus. I love you. I want to do all these things. And here's the list of things that need to be done. But today, this morning, I'm taking that list. I'm placing it to the side. I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to love you, Jesus. I just want you to have all of me. I just want to love you with all of my heart. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, at the time of communion, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you drink this or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So what I want to do is I want to take the, uh, the communion. I know that there's a top level, a cellophane level that we get. To, we can kind of do that. My fingers are so big sometimes that I don't get a chance to, to do it well. I'm sure that there are others that are kind of in the same. And let's take the emblem, which represents the broken body of Christ, and participate together. Jesus, you never died for my to do list. You never died for the jobs that I have to do. You died for me. You shed your blood for me. So we participate together in the emblem which represents the blood of Christ. So let's just take, let's just take a couple seconds just in silence before the Lord. And what I want you to do is just picture yourself opening the door, letting Jesus come in. Just saying, God, I want to do all these things for you, but the very first job I have to do is to allow myself to love you and to know you in an intimate way. Let's just take a few minutes. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I hand my zeal to you. My zeal may be in all the right places. But if I'm not sitting at your feet, just loving you, God, I'm just running a race that is too hard for me to win. And I know, Father, that you've been working that in my life. I would imagine that I'm not alone. God, do something deep in our lives. Last night, um, I'm uh, about to go to bed, and I'm watching the late hockey game. I was watching the Seattle Kraken playing the Vancouver Canucks. And um, as I'm doing that, I come across the story of of that particular game. It's kind of neat. What had happened as I began to read the story was that there was a... uh, There was a young lady who was a pre-med student and uh, just had a few months before she became a doctor and she was invited to the game in Seattle and uh, as she's she's there she's behind the Vancouver Canuck bench and she sees the um, she sees the equipment manager I believe his name is Brian Hamilton and she looks and she notices she's got this He's got this weird mole marking on the back of his neck. And because she has done so much, so much time in working in that particular area of, uh, of health, she says, you know what? There's something wrong with that. I think it's cancer. But who am I? You know, that's up to him. I'm sure someone, sometime he felt. Then she's, she said to herself, you know what? If it was, if it was me, I would want somebody to tell me about this so what she does can you just try and picture this she kind of fights her way to the bench 
And while the hockey game is going, she starts knocking on the plexiglass to get this guy's attention. It would be pretty hard to do in the middle of a hockey game, wouldn't you think? And what she does is she puts a note on her, her phone, places it up against the plexiglass, and says, you need to look, get somebody to look at that mole on the back of your neck. I've seen those before. It doesn't look good to me. Can you please get it checked? And then she leaves. What he does is he goes to the doctor. doctor says, this is a very dangerous form of melanoma. We need to work on this right away. The mole is removed. He's completely healthy. He begins to say, who is this? Who is this person? This person is my hero. I had no clue about this. And I'm so thankful that she took the chance to say something like this to me. And so on the social media in the Vancouver Canucks, they were about to play again, the Seattle Kraken in Seattle, which was last night. And so they put something on social media about saying, hey, I don't know who you are, but you are my hero. You told me this. I'm the, I'm the equipment director. And, 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 and I went, and, and because of you, I am healthy today. And I just want to say thank you. Do you know who this person is? And what happened was this girl's mother saw it, got in talk, contact with her daughter, who in turn gets in contact with this equipment supervisor. And you saw on social media the two of them embracing. That God did something, arranged something. It's just one of those wonderful, feel-good stories. And um, I looked at it and I read it and, and the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart. And I couldn't help but think that through this whole pandemic thing, I think that God is knocking on the plexiglass and putting a sign before us he's saying the things that we have created or equated with Christianity may not even be Christianity at all what you need to do is you need to love me what you need to do is sit at my feet and if you don't it becomes a cancer becomes something which is not glorifying to me and so I went to bed but I didn't sleep a wink because I knew that the spirit of God was having something to say to you as the Spirit of God was moving in my heart. So God, I just pray in Jesus' name for Bethel Christian Assembly, for Bethel Brandon, for people who absolutely love Jesus with all of their heart. The God, there's lots of things that you're wanting to do through us. But if they're going to be done through you, we need to sit at your feet. We need to love you. We need to be intimate with you. And as we do that, Father, it is unlimited the things that you will do through us. Because many ministry flows through you and not through us. God, we just pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to move in 2022. Lord, I know that there are challenges which are ahead of us, Father. But if I am handing my whole life to you, I'm not afraid. I know you can do great things. I pray, Father, that your word today will strive in all of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us online. I'm trusting that the Spirit of the Lord is going to move. We're going to see great things as we go on in 2022. But may God bless you. Have a great day. 
we will see you next Sunday and be prepared for three weeks of prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.